can I just say, if the fire alarm goes off, it's not a practice. All right, because the last time I stood up here, um, I was the dummy speaker, as Nigel rejoiced to label me, um, but not this morning. This morning, uh, we're going to be reading from Psalm 139. Psalm 139. But just as a bit of an introduction, um, anybody who knows me uh, will hardly agree that I'm a more sort of practical person rather than academic. Um, I attended a, a small country primary school and then, um, by some mysterious means, passing my 11 plus, what it was in those days, I was passed, packed off to Down High School where my father was of the opinion that I would become fluent in Latin, which would be terribly useful when it came to learning the correct botanical names used in horticulture, um, which was my chosen career, even at that stage. Sadly, he was mistaken, um, as my efforts to learn Latin declensions could be summed up in a little verse that goes, Latin is a language as dead as dead can be, it killed off all the Romans and now it's killing me. <laughs> and it wasn't only Latin that I had an aversion to. I loathed maths, geography, history, all with equal passion. The highlight of my academic career was three periods a week spent in the woodwork class. But strangely, I did have some understanding of English language and English literature, and I particularly enjoyed poetry. I know it's weird, but there we go. And I have retained some appreciation of the Psalms, especially uh, the poetry that we fake, we, we, we're, we're going to read about this morning. So, after that rather rambling introduction, somewhat in the style of one Nigel Magalrath, we shall turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, we're going to read the first 12 verses this morning. This is a well-loved psalm. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise in the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, Surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. And we know that God will bless the reading of his word. <coughs> One of the, the things that, that, that set the book of Psalms apart from other scripture is that they're not so much God's words to mankind, but rather man's words addressed to God. 
inspired nonetheless as they are. Perhaps it's because they are written from man's perspective that we can identify so easily with the sentiments expressed. And Psalm 139 is in reality a request by the psalmist for God to put him under his microscope and examine the reality of his devotion to God. But what a thing that is to do. As we shall see, God's scrutiny of our lives is absolute. So, two very simple headings so that you know where we're going this morning. First of all, verses, seven, verses 1 to 7, God knows me. God knows me. And then verses 8 to 12, God is with me. If you've been around Christian circles for a while, you'll no doubt have come across those big theological words that we sometimes use. Omni, omniscience, omnipresence, and omnipotence. And what we have in this psalm is those words. Although they're never used directly, they're illustrated in a, in a very personal way. So let's look out for the first two of those this morning. God knows me. If you have your Bible open, we can follow the psalmist's thought process down verse by verse. In these verses, we have God, David's awareness of the all-knowing God, the omniscient God. Verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. Let's think about that for, for just a moment. You know, we we readily acknowledge that, that God controls the, the workings of this whole universe. He keeps the sun uh, close enough to this earth to sustain life, and yet not so close that we're incinerated. All that big stuff, all that big picture stuff that God's in control of. What a huge undertaking. But God searches and knows me. There's something like 8 billion people on planet Earth at the moment. And the amazing thing is that God knows you and God knows I as individual beings. Do you know, that's absolutely staggering. You have searched me, he says. I haven't vanished into that great sea of humanity. I'm not a faceless statistic. Oh Lord, you have Search me and you know me. God knows me this morning. And here's the thing. He knows me better than I know myself. You know, I can fool myself. And I can fool people around me. I can fool people on social media with my portrayal of how successful I am and how wonderful my life is. But I can never fool God. Humanly speaking, of course, our family and our, our spouses know us best, don't they? And psychoanalysts can, can dig deep to try to reveal things perhaps hidden deep within our subconsciousness. But God searches us and knows us completely. Nothing is hidden. Nothing is beyond his eye. You remember way back in the book of Genesis, that sad story of a, of a pregnant Hagar thrown out of her home with her child. And as she wandered in the, in the wilderness, she got it absolutely bang right when she addressed God as Elroi. You're the God that sees me. 
little old me, lost and hopeless. You're the God that sees me. Maybe of no consequence to anyone else, but you, God, you have your eye on me. You know when I sit down and when I rise, you know everything that I do. Sitting and rising are, are things that we do repeatedly. It's no big deal. But the point David is making is this. God knows even the most mundane things about us. The Bible tells us he numbers the hairs on our head. Not because there's any special significance in whether we're going bald or not, but such is the depth and the breadth of his knowledge of me that no detail is beyond me. He knows my work schedule and he knows my rest times. Not only my actions, but the thoughts of my mind. You know, I can say one thing and think something entirely different. And let's be honest, it's, it's not always wise to say the first thing that comes into our thoughts. It's good to engage the, the, the filter. And some of us are better at that than others. But David says, you perceive my thoughts from afar. He knows what goes on in our minds. Even those secret thoughts that we would never share with even our most trusted friend. The Lord knows them from on high. You remember in the New Testament, the Lord forgiving as well as, as healing the paralyzed man back in Matthew 9. And those, those teachers of the law, they were absolutely scandalized, of course. And they said to themselves, inaudibly, this fellow is blaspheming. And we read that Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart? We can look at people's body language for clues, but we can only guess at motivation. And often we get it entirely wrong. But he understands my motives completely. I'm the ultimate open book before the Lord. There are no closed doors in my life or yours. No areas of my mind out of bounds to God. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. David says, you know where I go? All of my life's journeys, all the detours that, detour, detours that I take, all the cul-de-sacs I turn down, all the delays I experience, the roadblocks that I face in life, the times of illness, whenever life seems to grind to a halt, those times of waiting and waiting and waiting, the Lord knows where I go. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You know, in these days of, of instant communication, the words are hardly out of somebody's mouth before they're reported all around the world. And we use the Latin verbatim whenever we repeat exactly what someone has said. It literally means word for word and letter for letter. Maybe those Latin lessons that I endured were some use after all. Um, but to know completely, to know verbatim, before the words have been spoken, is knowledge of a different level altogether. And then he says, you hem me in behind and before. 
and you lay your hand upon me. And that term, you hem me in before and uh, behind him before, is used to describe a besieged city. What David is saying is that God surrounds him on all sides. In front of him, behind him, on each side. So as God ponders the extent of God's knowledge of him, he can only marvel. We sang this morning, how great thou art. How great thou art. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to obtain. What a great God we have. He says, I just can't get my head around it. I can't understand it. Who is like unto our God? All we can do is bow in worship. So let's turn to our second heading. God is with me. Here we've laid out the outworking of God's omnipresence in David's life. Verse 7, he says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And David's question is is rhetorical, for he knows there is nowhere in the universe where God is absent. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed, bed in the depths, you are there. David contrasts the height of the heavens above to the depths below. And we know that God transcends all creation. And Michael quoted this verse last Sunday. Isaiah speaks of him as enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. And again in Isaiah 66, heaven is my throne, says the Lord. The whole of the cosmos is his palace. We marvel at the sheer vastness of space. Light travels at something like 1,860,000 miles an hour. You know, if you could travel at that speed, you would take seven and a half seconds to circumnavigate the globe at the equator. Seven and a half seconds. And yet scientists talk in in terms of light years to some of the, the nearest planets. And above and beyond that all is our God. But even if he went to the polar opposite and made his bed in the, in the depths in Sheol, that disembodied uh, state, the abode of the dead, he would find that God is there. Death does not put us beyond the reach of God. And then he says, if I rise on the wings of the dawn. What a lovely, a lovely term. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, you are there. The wings of the dawn is, of course, a very poetic reference to daybreak. And, of course, dawn appears in the east. And the far side of the sea was the far side of the Mediterranean Sea. And that was the extreme western point known to people in that day, the age of the world. If you went any farther, you would drop off. And what he's saying is this. If I was able to travel at the speed of light, as far east as imaginable, as far west as imaginable, you, God, are there. Then his mind goes to other extremes, darkness and light. Verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. For the darkness is as light to you. 
And we think back to Genesis, don't we? Genesis 1, verse 3. And we read those words, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. As creator, God is completely sovereign over physical darkness and light. It's him who who names them and he who uses them for his purposes. In Joshua 10, we read the account of how the sun stood still until Joshua defeated the Amorites. And of course, the Gospels record that God drew a veil of darkness around the cross. But God also sees through moral darkness in whatever shape it comes. Jesus warned against the darkness of hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be known. What you said in the dark will be heard in the daylight and what you whispered in inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. So, God is with me wherever I go. So let's draw some applications from these verses this morning. And I want you to imagine two columns of truth that we can draw out of these Verses And one is headed comfort and the other challenge. And it's my prayer that with the help of the Holy Spirit, we may now apply them as required to our hearts this morning. So let's just back up and draw out the lessons we can learn from the fact that, first of all, God knows me. And secondly, God is with me. In this psalm, David asks that God would examine his heart and see his true devotion. Now, that's no small thing to do. I wonder, are we brave enough to do that this morning? God knows me. Let me give me four points on that. Firstly, David draws comfort from the fact that the Lord has examined him and knows all about him. There's nothing to hide from God. It's impossible to mislead him in any way. And you know something? That transparency is hugely liberating for the Christian. It's futile to hide our shortcomings from God because he knows everything anyway. And comfort lies in the fact that the all-seeing and all-knowing God, uh, that, that it doesn't cause him to recoil in revulsion from us. Instead, we are accepted in the well-beloved this morning. Our salvation and acceptance are grounded in the perfect righteousness of God. We sometimes sing, I'm accepted, I'm forgiven, I'm followed by the true and living God. The challenge for the Christian is is not to attempt to mislead or hide something from God, to try to live a double life. It won't work. You'll remember David used his power and his position to manipulate people in order to hide his sin of adultery. But God knew. And God's word through Nathan, the prophet, exposed his wrongdoing. And we too must put ourselves under the scrutiny of God's word. Hebrews 4 verse 25. The word of God is is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of, so, dividing of the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing 
in creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to which we must give account. Those are solemn words. Secondly, God knows our movements, our thoughts, our words. What comfort we can draw from the extent of God's knowledge of an interest in our everyday lives. In a world where identity is constantly questioned, we have a God who knows exactly who we are, where we're going, what we're thinking, and what we're saying. In a world of countless millions, we are not anonymous. We are not just a number. We are his children, and we are known to him by name. Society nowadays tells us that the elderly, the unborn, the impoverished, they don't matter. They don't rate. Psalm 139 exposes that as a lie. Thousands of people, face of God's people, face illness and unspeakable difficulties. Or like we've been hearing this morning in Mali, live in fear of their lives under brutal dictators or violent, violent extremists. They are held hostage. They're abducted. They're enslaved and killed. God knows each and every one of them. And Psalm 56 verse 8 says this, You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle and have recorded each one in your book. But there's a challenge for the Christian here too. God knows our movements. He knows how much of our energy we expand, expend in work, in sport, in leisure. And he knows how much of it is for his kingdom. He knows our finances. He knows how much we spend on ourselves and how much we give back to him. He knows how we regard our brothers and sisters in need and how we respond to that need. He knows our thoughts. He knows our pride, our, our superiority, our lust, anger, jealousy, and all the rest of it. He knows. Thirdly, he knows my going out and my lying down. How comforting to know that I am never lost. I am never abandoned. No matter what the circumstances are, God knows exactly where I am at any moment of the day or night. Going out or lying down, it makes no difference. But there's a challenge there also. I can't wrong foot him. He's aware of every action. That thing I did last Thursday that nobody saw, God knows all about it. Before a word is on my tongue, the psalmist says, you, Lord, know it completely. And we often know that our words can be twisted and distorted and, and used against us. Our words can be misunderstood. And here's the comfort. David says, even before I get the words out, even if I misspeak, you, Lord, you understand it completely. You get it. Sometimes in the workplace, in our relationships with other people, we can find ourselves misquoted or misunderstood. Or allegations are made against us that could just ruin our testimony. Mud sticks and we, we rage against the injustice of it. But isn't it so liberating and comforting to realize that God knows 
every detail of my actions and every syllable of my words, I need not try to justify myself before him. But the challenge lies in the fact that I must take responsibility for both my actions and my words. I can't deny them before God. I can't pretend I didn't say them. And words can wound as much as actions. God knows exactly what we say before we say it. And of course, as Nigel has been taking us through James, James tells us that with the tongue we praise the Father and we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Praising and cursing, brothers and sisters, that should not be. We need to be careful what we say. Fourthly, you hem me in before, behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Makes me think about the children of Israel as they left uh, Egypt. God led them by a, the pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It was a manifestation of God's presence that led and directed his people. And when the Egyptians pursued the Israelites, the pillar of cloud moved and stood behind them, between them and their foes. To God's people, it brought illumination, but to their enemies, it caused darkness and confusion. What a comfort to know that we too can be assured of God's protection on all sides. He stands between us and the foe. That doesn't mean that we'll never suffer loss, but God's purposes for us will not be derailed. Our souls are protected on all sides. Jesus tells us in John 10 that we are in his hand and no one can snatch them out of his hand. And then he tells us that we are in the Father's hand and no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. What amazing protection we have this morning, that divine double lock. But sometimes we push the boundaries, don't we? We would wander off the pathway. We would go our own way and, and just do our own thing. The Israelites spent 40 years wandering in the desert because they disobeyed God. And here lies this challenge. Will we submit to his will? Will we obey the great king? If we refuse, be warned, we will find he places limits on us to direct us back to the way he would have us go. Psalm 119, verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. You lay your hand upon me. Speaks to us of God's blessing upon us. Think how often we, we read of Jesus healing people by laying his hands upon the sick. Mark 10, we have him taking the little children in his arms, placing his hands upon them and blessing them. What a comfort it is to realize that the God who knows us with all our faults and failings is the God who uses us for his glory and our blessing. Jesus knew Peter would fail. And you remember the conversation that day on the shoreline. Peter's third response, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And the Lord's answer, Peter, feed my sheep. Then the application from our second heading, God 
is with me. And there are only two points. Those verses from 7 to 12, when the, the psalmist ponders the omnipresence of God, where can I go from your presence? Firstly, the God who knows me is the God who is with me. God has promised to be with us when two or three are gathered together, like we are this morning. But as the people of God, the Spirit of God indwells us. God has promised to be with us all the time. He promises to be with us wherever we go. We know those verses when Joshua was told to go across Jordan and journey into the land that God had promised, facing enemies on all sides, unknown problems and difficulties. The Lord himself goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Here's the comfort that we can draw on from our life's journeys, the presence of God. But there's also a challenge. As I read those verses, I couldn't also think of of, uh, but Jonah. He got a ship in the opposite direction that God told him to go. He went to the, the far side of the sea. But of course he found that even in the depths of the sea, God was there. Even under the gourd that withered, God was there. Even there, your right hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. And we sing, don't we? He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. We can't run away from God. We love the 23rd Psalm, don't we? He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And we are like those sheep. We have a propensity to wander, to get lost, to lose our way. And we need the shepherd's crook to draw us back and set our feet upon the path again. We need both comfort and correction. Secondly, darkness is as light to you. Finally, the psalmist reminds us that God is with us even in the darkness. And we associate darkness with evil, don't we? We know that Satan is called the prince of darkness. And so often we fear the darkness. We fear the night season that comes into our lives. But what comfort we can draw from the fact that darkness does not shut me away from God. Even when things seem at their darkest, when things seem hopeless, God is with me. The darkness of the night or the brightness of the noonday sun is immaterial to God. But the challenge lies in what Paul says in Ephesians 5, 8. We must live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness and truth. And to find out what pleases the Lord, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. So this morning, may we have courage to pray as David does at the end of this psalm. Search me. We didn't read these verses, but we'll get to them next week. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and see, uh, uh, sorry, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Next week, we'll look at the remainder of Psalm 139. Two headings there. God is my creator and God is my king. And that'll encompass those awkward verses, verses 19 to 24.
Thank you for listening to this Castlereagh Fellowship podcast. For more podcasts, Bible teaching videos, and to see what's going on at the church, please visit our website, castlereaghfellowship.com. God bless.